I want to talk to you tonight out of Hebrews chapter 12, if you will turn there with me. I've, I've, I wanted to speak to you about something that's just kind of been a theme in my spirit and in my heart, and it's about the joy of the Lord. It's about pursuing joy, and maybe a really rather strange way of doing it, but I began this message when I talked to you about how the disciples came back with, for, to Jesus after he sent them out into the cities, and they were very excited that even the devils obey us. According to your word. And Jesus said, listen, don't rejoice that the devils are obeying you, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you remember that message, it was dealing with the fact, what do you do when the devils don't obey you? You know, and we talked about the very real situations that men and women in the New Testament faced at the hands of men and women who were demonically controlled. The apostle Paul had his head cut off. Certainly that was at the hands of a man demon-possessed or a government demon-possessed. And so what do you do in those situations? And then the last time I ministered on a Wednesday night, I ministered in regards to the fact you should be jealous of my sufferings for Jesus. And when you read the New Testament, it, it, Paul almost in Philippians celebrates the fact that we get to suffer for him. And yet in our American civilization today and society, it seems like that has been taken out of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're kind of made to believe or, or been, you know, led along to believe that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, all your problems are going to be over. But the truth of the matter is, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, a whole new set of problems are going to begin. And as they hated him, they're going to hate you. And as they treated him, they're going to treat you. And it's not an easy journey and it's not an easy life. And I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, that if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we who follow Jesus in this life would be most miserable. And it wouldn't be worth it to follow Jesus if the resurrection were not real. But the resurrection is real and Jesus is alive. So therefore, the sufferings are worth it. And the persecution is worth it. And that's joy for us, you know, because if we suffer with him, we shall be glorified together with him. And I believe we need to know these biblical truths. I believe we need to know the scriptures so that when we're in a time of suffering or confusion or pain, we're not thrown off by that, wondering what in the world is happening and where are the promises of God for my life? Because it certainly is not an insinuation that God has abandoned you because you're going through a time of confusion or a time of pain or a time of suffering. Actually, it is all, most of the time, part of God's will for our life. And he uses these situations for many, many reasons. And so I just want you to understand that. But Jesus gave his disciples a very real promise. He said, my joy, I leave with you. And so Jesus left his joy. It's a matter of whether you pick it up or not. And I believe the joy that Jesus left was the Holy Spirit. The companionship that he had with his father, the intimacy that he had with his father, which he enjoyed by the person of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus leaves with us so that we can have intimacy with the son and with the father. Now we can take that to ourselves and really have joy or we can just let it be a theology in our life. But I want to explain to you just a little bit tonight about how you can live a joyful life as a Christian. Where you can give your life, what you can give your life to, to whom you can give your life for or serve. Lest you live your whole life as a Christian only to come to the end of it and find yourself very empty. And you feel like your life was very wasted. I would hate for that to be the case for your life. And so I want to talk to you tonight about missions. 
the pursuit of joy. Missions, the pursuit of joy. And so I want to give you some things so that you can benefit from this tonight. Jesus gives us a story in Matthew chapter 20. And it's the story of a householder. And he needed some work done in his property, in his estate. So what he did is he went out much like you might see early in the mornings at Home Depot where you've got a crowd of people that are out there hoping to get a job for the day. And so the householder drives out to where people are unemployed and they're hoping for work. And he goes out and he gets a crew of guys and he brings them out early in the morning and he puts them out in his estate to do a job. And he promises them, at the end of the day, I'll give you $50 if you work for me for the day. And they agree to this because they have to eat that day. And so then the work still has to be done. He goes back several hours later where he finds men still standing there without work. And he says, come and work for me and I will give you what is fair. And so they come to work for Jesus. Then Jesus goes back in the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he employs more people for the day. And he says, come and work and I will give you what is fair. And then the householder goes back. At the 11th hour, there's just one hour left of work. He goes back at the 11th hour and he hires more people. And he says, come and work for me for one hour. And I will pay you what is fair. And so they agree and they work for the householder. And at the end of the day, after the after the 11th hour, when it's time to pay everybody, Jesus or the man says to his foreman, I want you to pay the people. And I want you to begin paying the people that got here last at the 11th hour. And so when they began to pay the people at the 11th hour, they gave them $50. They'd only worked an hour. And so then after those guys were paid, they began to pay the people that were hired at the 6th and the ninth hour. And likewise, they gave them $50. They had worked a lot more, many more hours than the others. But that's what they got paid, and that was fair, and that's what the man wanted to give them. And so as they moved them off to the side and they began to pay the ones that were there early in the morning, these guys supposed we're going to get a lot more. We've been out here all day, but the man paid them $50 and they were upset with that. They didn't understand it. They didn't seem that it was just. And they said, you paid these guys $50 for an hour's work. We were out here since early in the morning, and you're paying us $50 as well. And he says, listen, that's what we agreed to. There's not anything that is wrong with that. It's not unjust. It's not unrighteous. It's what we agreed to. It's what you agreed to. And he said, "It's, it's our agreement, and it's mine to do as I will. And I want you to understand something. I'm not going to go into so much about this parable other than this, that it's the, it's, it's the, it's the fact that the kingdom of God operates on the basis of grace. And the beautiful thing about this is that it doesn't matter how you start, but it matters how you finish. And you might have wasted most of your life. Maybe you've lived most of your life protecting yourself. But if you can get in the game now and begin to really devote yourself to the householder's estate or the kingdom of God, and really put yourself into it. You you could be paid as much as those that have been working from the early morning hours. Because it's on the basis of God's grace that he wants to do it. And so I just want to say that to comfort you guys tonight. Especially as we talk about missions. It's really not how, it's not so much how you've lived up to this moment. But what will you do with this moment and the rest that you have? And will you really work for the king? 
And really, will you labor for God and be able to have the benefits that the Lord wants to bring into your life? And so I want to say to you tonight that if missions is the pursuit of joy, then the mission of our life must be the pursuit of Jesus. That must be our mission. And I find oftentimes that this is not exactly the mission of people's lives. Somewhere Jesus is in the equation, but he's just part of the equation. He's not the equation. But if really we're pursuing the joy of this life, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then if I'm going to be a joyful missionary, if I'm going to be a joyful minister, if I'm going to be a joyful pastor, then the pursuit of my life is not a pulpit, it's Jesus. And as a missionary, the pursuit of my life is not a country. It's not even evangelism. It's not even some kingdom. It's, it's Jesus. If the joy is going to be there, then it has to be found in him. And he's not the means to an end. He's the end of it all in himself. And so to pursue Jesus means that I am determined to align my life up with Jesus Christ. I'm determined to do that. I'm determined to go out unto him. I am determined not to bring the Lord my desires or even the needs that I've witnessed in the world today. But the desires of my life are to somehow seek the Lord and to find out from him what is the burden of your heart and how would you like for me to serve you today? Much like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. When he is just in the presence of God, and as he's in the presence of God, God is bellowing out his burden. God is voicing out in front of the angels in heaven, who will go for me? Who will speak to this people? And Isaiah, I'll go, I'll go. And so the mission was God. And because God was the mission, he found or discovered the burden that was in God's heart. And therefore, he had the joy of the Lord. There must be something to the fact that about 1,700 ministers quit every month. There must be something to the fact that most missionaries burn out. There must be something to the fact that most missionaries, ministers' children, do not continue to follow the Lord and become very embittered in their attitude towards God, church, and the people of God. Some of the most... um, brutal and angry and vulgar comedians that have, if you will, graced our society were the products of parents who were pastors and ministers, and they grew up despising God. There must be something to it if so many people go into the profession to do something for God, but God's not the means or the end. But he's just, he's the means to something else. And so I just want to say this to you, that you must prepare your faith. I was writing this down and I was thinking, you need to prepare your mind. But no, it's not even that. You need to prepare your faith that you're going to suffer for Jesus Christ. You need to prepare your faith for that. You need to prepare your faith that you're going to be a missionary for God. You need to prepare your faith for that. You need to make the decision of faith As to what you're going to do and how you're going to live. You need to determine in your faith that you are going to follow Jesus through suffering to heaven. Because I want to tell you something. According to the scriptures. That you're not going to live a significant amount of time on earth as a Christian and not suffer. The Bible promises us that. 
That we must, through much affliction, enter the kingdom of heaven. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to read this with me in verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to pause there. We'll, we'll read together in just a second, but pause there with me. This, Paul is referring to the Greek and Roman games of his day. And one of the things that the great athletes of his day were trained to do, much like our athletes today, is that when you're in a race, you don't look around you when you're running. You don't even want to risk looking to your right or your left, much less looking behind you, because it slows you down. What you do is you fix yourself, you fix your eyes on the goal. And that's what you run for with all of your might. And everything else is out of sight, because this is the goal. And beloved, that's what Paul's telling us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You're running a race, and the goal is Jesus Christ. He's not the means to the end. He's the end. And he is the one that you need to have your eyes fashioned upon. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Think about him. Meditate on him. That endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. You need to look hard at Jesus Christ. You need to make sure that Jesus Christ is the goal that you're living your life for. Not ministry. Not pulpits. Not missions. Not evangelism. Not not the techniques. Not the methods. Not the principles of, of Christian religion. But Jesus Christ himself. And you need to make sure that if you think about anything, think about him. Think about how he was treated. Think about how he was shamed. Think about how he was abused. Think about how he hung on the cross when it it looked like God had abandoned him. And Jesus, even himself, cried out for his father not to turn away from him. You have to think about all of those things lest you faint. You're running a race. And sometimes you can be running that race and it can seem so far and you can feel so tired and you can feel so weak. But if you look at Jesus and think about Jesus and know he's the author and finisher of our faith, then somehow he is going to secure me with strength and power in my faith to finish. And so I, I, I leave you that because you've just got to have that in your life. And Jesus went against so many things, so many things in his life. And so I want to just say this to you. That I believe is so important. If you're going to have joy in your life as a missionary or in missions, in the service of the Lord, then Jesus has to be the goal. And if Jesus Christ is the goal, and if Jesus Christ is the satisfaction, you have to know what satisfies him. I wrote something today and I put it out, but it just simply goes like this. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of one in whom Christ dwells. Except that which satisfies the life of Christ in whom Christ dwells. 
Now, there's a lot of things that may satisfy a lot of people, but if Jesus actually lives inside of you, and perhaps in a room here and a number of people here, Jesus doesn't live in every one of you. But the people that Jesus does live in, your satisfaction in life will only be complete when Christ who is in you is satisfied. Because he's your life. So what satisfies Jesus? And what satisfies Jesus is the delight and the glory of his father. And what satisfies Jesus is his opportunity for his father to fulfill his anointing. And the anointing of Jesus Christ is to heal people, to deliver people, to rescue people, to save people, to minister to poor people, to minister to needy people. And it says the poor in spirit. We just tend to think that's just only the homeless on the street corner. But there's a lot of rich people that are poor. And so it's the poor in spirit. It's those that are broken and destitute. And Jesus derives satisfaction when he is able to fulfill his anointing by helping the masses of people being set free and healed and delivered. And his father is so glorified by it. And if Jesus lives inside of us. And we want to know joy and satisfaction in life. We've got to let him live. We've got to let him fulfill what he wants to fulfill through my life. And I can't keep shutting him down through the religion of my Christianity or the stubbornness of my flesh. But I've got to let Jesus Christ live through me. That's what he wants to do. He hasn't ceased from doing those things. He will actually walk through our life to do them. Fame and pleasure and fortune. These things are dung compared to a life that is serving Jesus Christ for the right reasons and the noble purposes in life. There is nothing like that. There's not, I'll be honest with you, I've met a lot of people in my life. I've known a lot of people in my life. I've had the opportunity to be around all types of people in my life. And, And I just say this as God is my witness. I have never met anybody. I've never met any ungodly person and I envied their life. I have never met a wealthy person who practically has everything in this life that you could possibly want, but he doesn't have Jesus Christ and, and envied anything that he had. I, I, I'm, as a pastor, I spent a lot of my life counseling millionaires and doctors and people like that whose children are addicts and committed suicide and their families and their lives and their marriages are broke up. I'm sorry. There is nothing about you that appeals to me. And there is nothing about stoic religious people that appeals to me. Nothing at all. There is nothing about some stoic religion, some composed worshiper of God that has any appeal to me at all. I just want Jesus to live. And I want him to live through me. And I want him to have that life through me. I've I've looked at Christians who have been just casual with the church, lackadaisical with the church. They would come, they would go. They're not in church now. They're in church now. They're here for a season. They're out for a season. And I've watched them grow. And I've watched their little angels turn out to be the little fallen angels that they really are. Because well, without Christ, your little angels are fallen. When I mean, trust me, when they get to 15, 16, you're going to see it. And yet when all of that begins to happen, it seems like everybody at that point wants to blame the church for the abuse in my marriage. 
It's the church's fault. It's, it's this fault. It's that fault. It's that. And it's like, no, you don't have to live that way. But you reap what you sow. You don't reap it when you sow it. It's going to come. And beloved, it's going to come. Therefore, the beautiful parable at the beginning of the message. If you go to work for the king now, he'll still pay you a good wage. I mean, he can correct it all. Praise God. He can redeem it all. And that's what the Lord does. And that is it. But this life of suffering for Jesus Christ. I know it seems foolish. I, I think we ought to live. In, I, I think if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we ought to live lives that make no sense to this world. I mean, I think about the Apostle Paul whipped with whips. Beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked many, many times in his life. Hunger and thirstings in prison so much in danger everywhere he went. Why for God's sake? Exactly for God's sake. That's why. That's why he did it. That was the motivation of his heart and of his life. So is there a point to the suffering? Is there joy in the trial? Only... If you're joined to Jesus Christ and have an eternal mind only. And if you're not joined to Jesus Christ in your suffering, then you're just suffering. And there's no joy in that and there's no hope in that. But if you're joined to Jesus Christ and you have an eternal mind, then there's a purpose in the pain. And I want you to see this. I just I, I think it was Tozer who wrote this, but. I'm not positive. I think it was him. He said, there is a kind of suffering only known to the Christian. It is a voluntary suffering, deliberately and knowingly incurred for the sake of Christ. Listen to this. This is so profound. God will not force us into this kind of suffering. Listen. He will not lay this cross upon us nor embarrass us with riches we don't want. Man, that's strong. The pursuit of missions is the pursuit of Jesus. It's the pursuit of the Father. Not nations, not tribes, not tongues. But the pursuit of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a choice that an individual makes with determination and forethought to give their life to Jesus Christ. I've never seen it, and I assure you, you will never find it anywhere in the old Roman world where a Roman centurion presented a cross to the masses and shouted to the crowds, if any man will, let him follow me. Because I don't believe anybody would have followed a Roman centurion who was carrying their cross for them to be put on it. But Jesus did. Jesus produced a cross. And he said, if any man will, let him come and follow me and take up his cross. And died daily. And millions came. Millions. Chose. By faith. 
to bear that cross. Not for nations, not for cities, not for regions, but for him. It was for him. And it was for love for him and passion for him. I want to read a couple of scriptures. This is in Colossians 1. I love this scripture. I love what it means to me. But I'm going to read two. It's in Colossians 1 and 2 Corinthians 1. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 1 first. I would like to read in verse 5. And he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So whatever these modern day preachings are. I choose Paul's. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So our comfort also abounds by Christ. Boy, you've really suffered a lot as a Christian. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, to me, that's what Paul's saying. I have suffered abundantly as a Christian. But you know what happened? It caused my ability to comfort to abound. But how many people are offended and hurt and wounded and, oh, I was overlooked, all this stuff. Because we've we've been deceived by a modern-day feel-good gospel that has removed the riches and the passion of a loving God and a loving people and intimacy together. And so Paul says, man, the sufferings do abound in me, but the, the comfort abounds in me as well. And listen, he says, whether we be afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffered, or whether we're comforted, it's for your comfort and salvation. I love that. I mean, absolutely with Paul, there's no mistake whatsoever about it. If I suffer or if I'm blessed, it's for you. It's for your comfort and it's for your salvation. Wow, I'm telling you, that is the joyful way to live. It's not a joyful way to live in self-pity. It's not joyful to live having a pity party. It's not joyful to live thinking about, oh, nobody likes me and everybody hates me and all they do is hurt me and all I get is abuse and I've been hurting this church and I've been hurting that church and I've been hurting the church down the road and I don't like that and I don't like that and I'm running here and I'm running there and we don't comfort anybody and we don't comfort ourselves and we're absolutely miserable people and then we want to go to some law service and say, I really want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. He changed my life. No, thank you. There's more happiness in a bar room than in whatever room you've been in. But people that have suffered with Jesus and eternally minded take all of the suffering and, and use it as an ability that God gives to, to, to comfort other people. Not to abuse other people, not to wound other people, but to comfort other people. Even bring salvation to people. And that's the next scripture I want you to read. And it's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And he says this, um, which is really powerful. And it's a, I, I think it's a very simple verse to understand. I, I know that it has been a verse that has been debated and people have stumbled over it. But I believe it's very simple. And he says in Colossians 1, 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, 
and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now, I'm talking about missions, right? And missions is the pursuit of Jesus. It's about the Father and his glory and having many sons and daughters brought into his kingdom for the Father. And so Paul's mission was, whatever happens to me has to be for the church. And then he comes here and he even begins to say this, that in my sufferings, I'm filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And again, there it is. It's for the church. I promise you, beloved, your, your whole Christianity would change dramatically if we would begin to live our lives for the church. For that. With that, because it's for Jesus, right? How do you love him who you haven't seen if you don't love those that you see? So what is he saying here? And, and what Paul is saying is this. He's by no means saying that Jesus lacked when he suffered. He's, he's by no means suggesting, suggesting that Jesus didn't suffer enough. But what he's saying is this. There are people in Rome that were not witnesses of the crucifixion in Jerusalem. There are people in Elycrium. There are people in Thessalonica. There are people in Ephesus. And I must go there and persuade and present and preach That a man who died on a Roman cross was the son of God. And he rose again from the dead. And in order to present that gospel message, I must suffer for it. So that when I'm hit, Jesus comes out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It was an absolute desperation for the power of the Holy Spirit on Paul's life. And this was his mission to make Jesus known everywhere he went. To fill up the sufferings, knowing that it's going to come. If they're going to ever believe that a man who suffered in Jerusalem on a Roman cross was truly the son of God. And the Holy Spirit would give that demonstration. And so I want you to look this last scripture. It's in 1 Peter Chapter 4. I believe Michelle referred to this Sunday night in the prayer meeting. Or or, or shared it with me. In 1 Peter chapter 4. I think you shared this in the prayer meeting. In 1 Peter 4. It says in verse 12. Beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happening to you. But rejoice. We need grace to do that, don't we? It's not our natural response. Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. And I think a lot of people are missing the joy of Christianity because they're not involved in the true mission. We don't want to hazard our lives, but that's where the happiness is and that's where the joy is. And you're thinking, that is crazy. It is if there's no resurrection. 
But it's very sane if there's a resurrection. So if you're a reproach for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. And on their part, he is evil spoken of. And on your part, he is glorified. And so not everybody's going to believe, but God's going to be glorified. Even when they mock God, he's going to be glorified. Because his spirit of glory rests upon you. And I think that is so awesome. I wanted to share with you some of the testimonies of missionaries. Samuel Rutherford who was one of the great statesmen and missionaries of the past, was thrown into a prison. He called it his cellar of affliction. He was confined there. And in the cellar of affliction, this is what he said to the people. The great king always keeps his best wine here. Spurgeon said this, those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up the rarest And most beautiful pearls. One missionary confessed. As he was about to be slaughtered by cannibals. He said though we have but a hard breakfast. Yet we shall have a very good dinner. We shall soon be in heaven. It's not the absence of problems that gets the lost attention. Of Jesus in your life. It's not the absence of problems. It is the power of God. That is resting upon you. In those problems. That causes people to notice. That God is with you. The trials are never easy. The suffering is is never easy. It's not supposed to be. That's why it's called affliction. And suffering and trials. It is the glory of God that comes. It is the presence of God and the power of God that rests upon you. And it is right there in that suffering where your greatest preaching and testimonies of Jesus are going to be declared to the world. Christy preached a message when the Lord took clay home and it was out of Corinthians and we are an aroma unto God. And she says it before a watching world. It's that phrase she would use before a watching world. People are watching. They're watching what you're going to do. So, what was one of the highlights of Daniel's life? Was it not the lion's den? And and what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Can any of you tell me some of the topics of their Bible studies? Can you give me the name of their church? But what have they gone down in history doing that they were thrown into a fiery furnace and God was with them. What about Ruth? What about Ruth? How many orphanages did she start? How many cities did she travel to? How many countries did she change? How many? You know, she didn't have an easy life or a beautiful life. She, she lived in a pagan home. She married a man who ended up dying and she followed her mother-in-law back to a land, to a home she no longer had. She had to go work in fields. She had to collect grain and, and, and store it and, and take care of her mother-in-law and wonder what's going to happen with my life. And, and yet, is that not become one of the most beautiful stories of faith 
It wasn't, a, it wasn't Ruth who was so wonderful and life was so great and she was born into a wealthy family and never had a problem in her life. It was about a woman who met one problem after another. But the power of God rested upon her life. And the finisher of her faith, Jesus Christ, brought her to the completion where there was such glory. It was spectacular. And we still talk about her life to this day. And what about Job? One of the first men on the earth. What about Job? The power of his life. The power of his testimony. Or what about Stephen? How many TV shows was he on? How many widows wrote books about how sweet and lovely Stephen was because he fed us? What is he remembered for? His martyrdom. The first believer to die for the cause of Christ. Who gave us the, the comfort and the assurance that when a believer dies in suffering for Jesus Christ, Jesus stands in heaven to receive him and the pain of death is gone. For he felt nothing in that. And the testimony of that has gone down through the ages. In the Colosseums when they would burn the Christians at the stake. And set them on fire. And instead of them screaming in agony and pain. The Christians were clapping their hands. till their I know this is kind of crude. Their hands fell off. Praising God and singing to the Lord. Explain that. You can't if there's not an eternity and not a Christ who's alive. But that's what happened to them. The joy of the Lord was all over their life. And so I ask you to pursue the joy of missions, which is the pursuit of Jesus and the glory of the Father and the intimacy with the Father. Because this little thing that Jesus told us, really not little, but this great thing that Jesus told us in John chapter 15, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so Paul, Paul jumps on that. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, you guys are our joy and our hope and our cause for rejoicing when we stand in the presence of God. You guys are what we have to show for our love for Jesus on earth. And perhaps that's why the Bible says, whatever you do, save some. You want somebody there as a result of your Christianity. So don't hide from suffering. It's going to come one way or the other. It's better to suffer with Christ. And know the joy and the happiness of it. Because of the presence of God and the grace of God and the glory of God that rests upon you. Nobody's life goes the way they plan. Nobody's. Only Jesus Nobody's life goes the way it's planned. It never happens the way you thought it was going to happen. The only sure thing that you can have in life for a life of blessings and contentment, satisfaction and joy is that you walk with Jesus. I think about our young people. I think about war going on in the world. They have no clue what they might be facing in a year. Neither do parents have no clue what they might be facing in a year. But the safest place anybody can be is in the dead center of God's will. For that is the only assurance of blessing and hope and prosperity that a person can have. I want you to stand with me and I just want to charge you and commission you to 
pursue the joy of missions, which is the pursuit of Jesus. And maybe it's been just a little bit twisted with you. Maybe you've, maybe you have pursued a ministry. It's not that ministry won't come. It will. But maybe that's been your pursuit. And you're so frustrated because you're not getting to do what you want to do. I thought I'd be preaching by now and I don't get to preach. I don't get to say anything. I don't get to do anything. I thought I'd be singing now. I thought I'd be teaching a Sunday school class. I thought I'd be doing, oh, I'm so disappointed because that's what your pursuit is. You're going to live disappointed like that. But if Jesus is your pursuit, you can always have him. You can always have